Hey guys, thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope this week's message inspires you and encourages you. Feel free to check out our website for more information. Here's today's message. Thanks for listening in. And friends, thanks for, thanks for being here with us today as well. And you know, um, like I, I'm, I'm looking forward after church today, because uh, obviously I, I'm here in the building and I'm looking forward to going to see one of our uh, one of our people in church, and um, because that's you know, look, we're we're allowed to do care giving, and there are things that pastors do in this uh, in this setting and this time, which really do fall under the act of caregiving. So legally, we're really able to do that, and I'm looking forward to my friend. Uh, I maybe won't name you right now, but I'm sure she's watching, and I know that she's looking forward to to a visit, and we're going to spend some time together. Uh, one of our senior female church members looking forward to seeing you and spending some time with you um you know what a few years ago i was at this wedding i was conducting the wedding it was at this beautiful winery uh, up in up in the lansfield area and uh, in between the service and the reception i and it was a very big wedding by the way um and and lots and lots of people in between the service and the reception uh, I'd gone for a walk and I'd talked for a long time on the phone with Deb, my wife, because Deb was supposed to be there with me, but she was sick that morning, so she couldn't come. Anyway, so I did that. And I get back and everyone's moved from where the chapel is, beautiful chapel in this really beautiful winery. And they're over near the, you know, the restaurant where we're going to have the reception. And I think, you know, there was probably like I'm imagining 250 to 300 people, like it was a big wedding, really big wedding. And um, anyway walk up and this is um this is for one of the one of the staff not a player uh, but one of the staff from richmond football club and so i look around and uh and i don't know too many people at the wedding but i do know the other staff members there's a few of the staff members in the footy club there so i just uh, you know go up to them everyone's standing around having their, their pre-dinner drinks and snacks and you know I go up to them to say hello and I'm introducing myself around and and, and there's a, a few people in this circle who I don't know and so we're saying g'day hi, hi, hi. and then I'm shaking and I shake hands with this one guy and he he says g'day and he tells me his name now, I'm not going to repeat his name now but uh, he says his name and while I've got hold of his hand I'm thinking and I'm having all this flashback and you see this name it's it's a a little bit of a distinctive name, maybe not the sort of name you'd hear all over the time. And I got this distinct memory right back into the early 1990s when I'm a detective with the Victoria Police at Brunswick CIB. And I know this guy. He was a former bank manager who had developed a, a gambling habit He'd had no trouble with the police before, law-abiding citizen, developed a really bad gambling habit and then had been um, dodging the books for quite a period of time and stealing money from the bank to try and pay his gambling, gambling debts. And I had, as a police officer, investigated that and charged him. And I don't remember exactly, but I do remember it going to court and I'm pretty sure he went to jail. Um, and if he didn't go to jail, he got, he got some pretty severe punishment because we were talking about a lot of money that had gone missing. <laughs> and so I got hold of his hand. And everyone's just sort of looking, and I said, oh. And it, was just, it just threw me, you know. And then I said, I went to say my name, and, and someone said to me, Jeff, what, 
he's not, you know, Jeff, they almost introduced me for me. And I, I looked at him and I said, my name's Jeff Shepherd." And he looked at me and he goes, oh. And then we, we just went back into talk and, and, and I didn't want to embarrass him, so I didn't say anything. I didn't identify him at all that I knew him, but he knew that I knew who he was. And we were talking away. Anyway, you're talking to just a really nice guy. And so I thought, well, that's okay. Like, it's good to, it's good to bump into him again after all these years, you know, and, and he sounded like a really nice guy. Um, and then, remember I told you it was a really big wedding and there's like 250, 300 people there? Then we go in. <laughs> We go in and you have to look on the list, you know, what table are you on, what table are you on? And I look and here's my name and Deb's name and Deb's not there for me, with me, you know. Um, and, and I look at my table, I'm on table number whatever it is, you know. And I go over and I sit on my table and can you guess out of 250 or 300 people, can you guess who's sitting next to me? <laughs> it's him <laughs> and his wife. And so over the course of the night, we spend all this time talking together and they were the nicest couple. We, we, we had such a, such a lovely night together and it turns out now, like, you know, he's, we didn't talk about what happened, but he told me about where he's at now. And he's, he's working and I, I won't go into what he's doing now for his privacy's sake, but life's good for him now. What a story, I Drove home that night thinking, here's this guy who, he got himself in trouble. He made some really poor choices for sure. But he turned his life around now. Back in the lane. Hey, have, you, have you ever struggled in trying to work out this thing that we call repentance? And by the way, repentance we tend to associate with Christianity, but it's not necessarily just a Christian principle or even a religious principle. You can, you can do true repentance in the sense of the word, whether you're a Christian or not. Um, you ever struggled to work it out? I mean, can't, we've all heard about it, haven't we? Repentance. And it is more associated with the Christian faith or religion than any other religion. In fact, it's, it's a word that's virtually non-existent in most other religions. And we've all heard someone, haven't we? Someone going viral. It used to be on TV, there would be in the paper. Nowadays, it'll usually be first and foremost on, you guessed it, social media. But we've all heard someone or seen someone going viral, haven't we, about the need for repentance. I got friends. You probably got friends too. And I could, like if I pulled out my phone right now, I could pull up their story or their wall right at the moment on social media and, and we'd be reading or hearing or looking or seeing call outs for repentance. You know, this concept, I have this concept, I don't know if you do, but I have this concept of like, like, almost like this weird voice of repent you know and it's usually got tones of anger to it and it's usually got like tones of judgment to it and it, and it doesn't usually feel like it's in line with where I'm at like it feels a bit archaic and it feels like this old religious principle that I don't really want to know about I mean we've heard about repentance so many times haven't we 
But I wanted to ask you this morning, what is it? And not only what is it, but is what we've heard of it, is this idea that we've gotten of it, is that actually what true repentance is? Like have we got the right picture? And here, Mill Park Baptist Church, Sunday mornings, where, you know, these last few weeks and the next few weeks, we're tipping inside the life of an ancient Bible character, and his name's John. And actually, he's a cousin, probably more likely a first cousin, once removed or twice removed from Jesus. But, but he's distantly, like he's related to Jesus himself. He's living at the same time as Jesus. He's born, we've seen this, he was actually born six months ahead of Jesus. His name's John. But from the very beginning, this guy, John, established a reputation. You know why? Because he was always baptizing people, baptizing them. So they called him then, and we call him now, John the Baptist. The radical forerunner and follower of Jesus. Look at this. Mark says in the Bible, Mark chapter 1, here begins the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, Mark says, and that's Isaiah was in the 8th and 7th centuries before Christ. Thousands of years before Mark was writing this. In other words, a prophet, have you heard of this term? Prophesying about what would happen in the future. Thousands of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah is saying, here's what is going to happen. And through the prophet Isaiah, God said, look, I'm sending my message, messenger before you. Now that's what we call the forerunner. I'm sending my messenger before you and he will prepare your way. So this is God speaking about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Look, I'm sending my messenger before you. He'll prepare your way. Here's a voice shouting or crying, some versions of the Bible say, a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for him. Forerunner. This messenger was John the Baptist. This is what Mark tells us. In other words, God said that all those years ago. He said, this is the messenger. And now I'm telling you, this messenger, well, it was John the Baptist. That's who it was. He lived in the wilderness and was preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Um, in another version of the Bible, New American Standard Version, uh, it describes the same thing. Verse four, it says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching, here it is, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So when I asked you about repentance and whether we've got the right picture of it, if you take a picture, uh, like even just like a glance at the life of this John the Baptist, JTB we call him, you'll see him and you'll hear him. You know what? He's always always banging on about repentance. You can't read about John the Baptist without reading about repentance. Repent, repent, repent. 
So he's, he's, he's 30 years old now by the time we get to see him. Nothing specific has been written about him since we last saw him when he was really just a little kid, remember? Other than that he lived in the wilderness or the desert. And, and there we saw this last week when he was in the wilderness, he became strong in spirit. The desert makes strong people. And of course, we know too he survived on a diet of locusts and wild honey. Hope you enjoy them. But now, look at this. It's, it's the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pilate was governor of Judea. And it tells you there all, all the, the people who were in the positions of power at the time. Look at this. At this time, a message came from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living out in the wilderness. All right, so John's still out in the wilderness and he gets a message from God. And then in verse three, we're led to believe because of the message he got from God. Look at this. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. You see, John's real big deal, friends, was telling everyone who'd listened, both sides of the Jordan River, men and women, everyone who'd listened, was telling them that Jesus, God's chosen Messiah, is here. And the phrase that we would often hear to describe that, and you may have heard it before and just not understand it, he was saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preparing the way for Jesus, God's chosen Messiah. And the other thing that he talks about, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then he would talk often about repenting, and he would use this phrase of, you ready for it? The wrath to come. The wrath to come. And so he's got this message of, friends, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is wrath that is coming. Repent. Repent. In other words, it's not this angry vitriolic message, the sort of thing that we easily associate with repentance with. It's not. It's, hey, you guys, here's what's going to happen. I want you to know. You see, repentance gives life. It gives life. Whatever you do, whatever you do is pleading with people, repent. It follows then, doesn't it, that if we want to get a proper, correct, true, authentic perspective of what repentance really is, not just what we grew up thinking it was, not just what we gleaned on social media, especially if it was some wacky guy who thought he had to do it all, not just what some, what some odd weirdo told us, you know, to put the fear of God into us and and neither also what we just watered it down to be so that we felt comfortable with it. You know, in this age, I heard this week, this age that we're living in now, right now, this age of, quote, rampant 
individualism, end quote. In other words, in this age of rampant individualism, one of the signs of our society and our culture, and it's not out there somewhere, friends, it's right here in our city, in our state, and right here in Mill Park and Epping and South Morang, right here where we live. One of the signs of our times is this, rampant individualism. Don't you tell me what to do. Don't anyone, including God, tell me what to do. And if you do tell me what to do, I will get indignant with you. Well, John the Baptist knows all about real repentance. So let's go looking. I guarantee you, this is going to help you. And you know how it'll help you? It'll help you by giving you life. John shows us this message. We don't always want to hear this message. uh, And it really clashes with our world right now. We're so indignant. We're so indignant that no one's going to tell me what to do. So don't tell me. Don't correct me. Don't give me instructions. Don't, whatever you do, don't tell me that I'm wrong or even that I'm out of line. Don't you dare. And you know, we can, we can say for as long as we want to say how this is not a popular message and I know it's not a popular message. You know what? I know. I love you guys that are listening, but I know there will be people who hear this message and they do not like it. I know it. Repentance is still, whether we like it or not, it's Jesus' language. It's God's language. And remember, it's not about death. It's about life. Repentance, if, if we literally render the Greek word that's used in the New Testament to talk about it, the Greek word uh, is, is metanoia. That, that word that you've got on your screen there in Greek actually says metanoias. It comes from the Greek word metanoia and it literally means a change of mind. And you see, if we fill it out more, what we find is that it's actually a change of attitude in the will so I'm changing the way that I think about something now the unrepentant soul chooses its own way that's rampant individualism that's don't tell me what to do that's don't correct me don't tell me I'm wrong don't give me any of that stuff I'll choose my own way that's the unrepentant soul and before you go crowing at home right now about your goodness and your holiness and your righteousness, (laughs) I just want to ask you, when was the last time you apologized? Sorry. When you were sorry. And when you were sorry only for you and what you did or what you said, or the hurt that you caused. I don't mean when you said, hey, Jeff, sorry, but. In other words, sorry, but here's why I did what I did, and now I'll spend a while telling you about your wrong. Sorry for what I did, but here's why. Sorry, but. 
Or if, if, if you said, you know what, Jeff, if you were offended, if you were offended by what I said or what I did, I'm sorry. If you were offended, like wake up and smell the coffee, it's clear that he was offended. So if didn't even need to be said. And, and Jeff, if you were offended, in other words, if you are so emotionally weak that you got offended by what I said and did, and I imply by that, well, I don't think anyone else would have gotten upset by what I said or did, but if you did and that hurt you, oh, look, I'm sorry. I don't mean if you said sorry, but, or sorry if you were offended. I don't mean that. I mean a fair income, sorry. And if you haven't apologized, maybe more than once in this last week, then it means <laughs> either you're perfect and you didn't do anything wrong, <laughs> and therefore you are in no need of repentance, option one. Option two is you're the unrepentant type perfect unrepentant oh. <laughs> I think we all know which one's the more likely option out of those don't we it says in Romans chapter 8 the sinful nature is always hostile to God it never did obey God's laws and it never will but in repentance friends you see what happens is the soul changes attitude it no longer refuses God's will you know, like a calf in a buckout or a rodeo, it actually yields to it or it's willing to yield to it. And please, listen in, because when repentance falls on us, and this is, this is the life-giving part, there's a sense, when it falls, there's a sense of the hollowness of all created things. There's this relenting, there's this wistful yearning after the true life now. We realize I've been missing out. I didn't get true life. And, and you know, ultimately, there's a turning from darkness to light, from where I can't see to where I can. And once repentance lands, F.B. Meyer, one of my favorite ever theologians, he says, once repentance lands, the habits may rebel, the inclinations and emotions may shrink back, the consciousness of peace and joy may yet be far away, but the will has made its secret decision and has begun to turn to God. You know what that means? You might repent and not feel it because it's an attitude of the will. Make no mistake, repentance is an act of the will. It really is. There may be no feeling whatsoever with it, but it's an intellectual decision friends and it happens once off um, that you know like sometimes it's the time or the journey or the season where we actually accept Jesus saving work on behalf of our sin and sinfulness when Jesus died on the cross for our sin and then as a result it happens after that when we know Jesus it happens also as a lifestyle so we've got a once-off big repentance and we've got a daily repentance it's an act of the will when we intentionally and factually acknowledge and become conscious of the fact that certain ways of life are wrong. 
they are mistaken, they are hurtful, and they are grieving. I know it's not popular language, but it's still true. They're grieving to God first and foremost, and then often, usually, to other people as well. You see, turning from sin, from the sin nature, from the ongoing daily, weekly habits and words and behaviors and attitudes and blind spots that are wrong and grieving to God and usually to others, turning from all this and then turning to God. And John says, John was baptizing these people to show that they had turned from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. You see, we don't like talking about repentance and sin. Chances are you're bristling a bit right now, you know? A bit frosty. We can not like it all we want. We can denounce it as an uncool concept. We can say it's, we can take offense. We can say we can become indignant. We can say we can go to the tribunal with our discrimination claim. We can be haughty and miffed when a brother or a sister or a leader or a pastor calls us out and challenges us on what we said or did or practiced or assented to or what we posted. We can do it all, but not for one nanosecond does that change what Jesus said and indeed what his radical forerunner said. It is impossible to be saved by Jesus without truly repenting friends it is impossible categorically undeniably unequivocally impossible you see repentance sometimes it's it's produced by just just this presentation of the claims of Jesus and suddenly it happens and we realize who Jesus is what he is how much he loves us how much we're missing out on the gross ingratitude with which we respond to his agony and his bloody sweat for us and his cross and his suffering and and we see the beauty of his character and the strength of his claims and other times you know repentance comes about in words like this from from JTB himself Here's a sample, Mark says, of John's preaching to the crowds that came in for baptism. Imagine if I talked to you like this. You brood of snakes! Who warned you to flee from God's coming judgment? Prove by the way that you live that you've really turned from your sins and turned to God. Don't just say we're safe, we're the descendants of Abraham. That proves nothing. God can change these stones here into children of Abraham. Even now, the acts of God's judgment. See, these are the words that can bring repentance. You guys, the acts of God's judgment is poised. It's ready to sever your roots. Every tree that does not bear fruit, good fruit, is going to be chopped down and thrown in the fire. See, see what it's saying? Hey, get the, get, get the program together before you get chopped down. I don't want you getting chopped down. You don't want to know what real repentance is friends here's just a a couple of real quick notes about repentance from John the Baptist he tells us firstly it's confession says in Matthew when they confessed now if I confess right if I confess something in biblical language firstly I agree that my behavior or my words or my attitude or whatever it was was wrong so that's the first thing is I realize it's wrong. Okay? Wrong. Not, not just inappropriate, not just unwise, wrong. Wrong. 
That's the principal meaning of confess. I agree. And then from there, I say sorry. You see, so when they confessed their sins, that's when John baptized them in the Jordan River. I've been wrong and I'm sorry. In the famous language that you've heard from John Newton, former slave trader, I was blind. Now I can see. And here, in this setting for John the Baptist, when so many people are baptized and they confess, all sorts of breakthroughs were happening, guys, all over the place. Feuds being reconciled, old quarrels being settled, frank words of apology and forgiveness. You see, confession is an essential sign of general, genuine repentance. And without it, forgiveness is impossible. People who cover over their sins, the wisdom literature tells us, will not prosper. You can sit on your sin and not tell anyone about it, and not tell God about it, and not agree about it. You can do that all you want. Um, but if they confess and forsake them, they'll receive mercy. If we confess our sins to him, his promise, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. You see, confession is essential to repentance. And it's impossible to be saved by Jesus without truly repenting. In other words, you don't get saved by Jesus if you don't confess. My friend, my friend, if, if you're sitting here this morning and you're hanging on to it, if you're hard-hearted to it, if you're doing what Jesus said, and, and, and realistically what you're doing is, do you remember this story that Jesus told? You, you're focusing on the splinter that your friend has in his or her eye. But you know what? Your friend's got a splinter, but you've got, you got a log. You've got a plank in your eye. That's the language Jesus said. Hey, first Jesus said, you concentrate on getting the log out of your own eye. Then start worrying about the splinter in your brother or sister's eye. But if you've got your... If, I mean, if you're sitting there now and just shrugging your shoulders and saying, I've got no need for repentance. If you've, if you've got your dark side secret and it's hidden and it's been there for God knows how long. You know what? It's, it's eating you. It's killing you. Look at this. When I refused to confess my sin, the psalmist said, I was weak and miserable. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And you see that word there, interlude? That's actually in the Bible. And the, the Hebrew word is silah. So, and, and the Amplified Bible puts it like this. It's, it, it describes silah. It says, pause and calmly think of that. Pause and calmly think of that. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Interlude. Therefore, let all the godly confess their rebellion to you while 
there is time. You see, the axe is right there. It's ready to go. Make no mistake. Get indignant all you want. Be individualistic all you want. Be irate, bristle, get upset all you want. But I'm telling you, the axe is there at the foot of the trees. And every fruit tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be chopped down and thrown into the fire. You get irate all you want, you bristle all you want. But it won't change the fact that the axe is there ready to go. Let all the godly confess their rebellion to you while there is time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. You see, it's impossible to be saved without truly repenting. And, and it's confession and it's fruit as well. You see, John said, prove by the way that you have really turned from your sins and turned to God. Sorry, prove by the way you live that you have really turned from your sins and turned to God. Show it. You see, that's what fruit is. You see this in verse 8? Um, don't just say, we're safe. We're the descendants of Abraham. In other words, what he means by that is, don't just try and rely on your religious pedigree. Don't rely on the fact that you've been coming to church all your life. Don't rely on the fact that you grew up in a Christian family. Ever heard of this, this principle that we have called diplomatic immunity? All right. I remember learning about this in the police academy when I was there. And, and that is basically someone who's a diplomat for a foreign country. They have diplomatic immunity. They, they can't be charged with committing a criminal offence in the country that they're working in. That's what we call diplomatic immunity. And do you remember the, the famous old movies? They're, they're old now, but I loved them as a teenager. Lethal Weapon. Remember those? And in one of the Lethal Weapon movies, there's this, there's this bunch of crooks. And, you know, no disrespect to our South African friends here in our church, but these guys are South Africans in the movie. And it gets right to the end, and, and they're just flat-out crooks. And in the end, there's this really hard scene and Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, they're the two cops. And there's this guy and he's got his badge there, this diplomat. And, they, you know, they've had this big shootout and he realises he's, he's pinned. They've got their guns and he's got his gun and he's holding up his badge and he's yelling out, diplomatic immunity! Diplomatic immunity. He just keeps yelling it out. I've got diplomatic immunity. That's like saying, hey, we're the children of Abraham. We've got a religious pedigree. Don't you bang on to repentance, bang on to us about repentance. Diplomatic immunity, diplomatic immunity. And then the cops, bang, 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 bang. They fire their guns. And then Mel Gibson says, is now revoked. The axe is at the foot of the tree. Don't just rely on your religious pedigree. Um, you see, repentance shows, my friend. Shows. 
It's obvious. And, and my own theory, Jeff Shepard's theory, is that the, the way it shows most of all is in the characteristic of humility. You know what? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really careful to say this, really careful to say this. Um, I, I don't believe that I can ever, ever say with any authority, with any conviction that someone is not repentant because I don't know what's happening for them. But you know the thing I can come closest to saying for me with real conviction is that person is repentant. Because when someone is repentant, my friends, listen carefully, it shows. It shows. It's impossible to be saved by Jesus without truly repenting. And repentance, uh, thirdly, by the way, uh, repentance is baptism. Um, now, no scandal. Don't hear me saying that. If, if you get baptised, you know, the baptism is over here on the stage. If you come to church and you get baptised, if we dip you in the water, then you've repented. In other words, you just do that ceremony and therefore you've repented. No, 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 no. That's not what we're saying. Baptism actually becomes a powerful, momentous, defining symbol of the change that has taken place. Now, JTB, John the Baptist, remember he was sent to baptise. And he was preaching that people should be baptized to show, it says in verse 3, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. In other words, baptized to show that they had repented. Impossible to saved by Jesus without truly repenting. Hey, um... I know, friends, we're, we're like I've been talking for a little, little while this morning. Um, but I, I feel like I still want to tell you this story. Because um, part of it's in, in my confessing my own brokenness and sin and sinfulness to you as well. Do you know, um, years ago, when I was working as a youth pastor, and with the senior pastor, his name's Harry, you know. And, um, and I would always describe, if you asked me back then, I would always tell you, look, I got a, Harry and I got a great relationship. We really love each other. Um, we don't see eye to eye on all these things, I'd say, you know. But we love, you know, our relationship's good. You know, Harry went through a really, really hard time. And, and what I'm telling you now, he, you know, he said publicly at the time, so it's not private. Um, he struggled really badly with depression. And he ended up resigning um, as senior pastor of the church. And poor guy, you know, um, went overseas for a while. And um, it's a really hard, really, really hard time in his life. And you know, it was probably, I'm thinking, two, three, four years later. And by this time, I'm, I'm now a senior pastor in another church. And one of my friends, one morning in our discussion, you know, I'm, I'm with a group of guys and we meet every week. That morning he tells me, Jeff, do you realise that the way that you conducted yourself and what you did 
do you realize that you're a major contributing factor to Harry's breakdown? And guys, like I... Really killed me. So fast forward all that time, then I contacted Harry. I think I contacted him that day, you know, and, and we had all this time. And, and, and one of the most significant times for me was sitting with him, you know, we're having lunch one day. And he says to me, and it wasn't, it wasn't patronizing and it wasn't smug and it wasn't nasty. He just said to me, Jeff, hey, can I just ask you, now that you're a senior pastor, looking back on that would you behave yourself a bit differently as a youth pastor and I just talked to Harry again this week just a few days ago talked to him gave him a call and our relationship now is is as warm and loving and as good as can be I apologise to him again last week. I always do when I talk to him. But you see, this, this way of waking up and realising of being humble enough to say, yeah, okay, I'll take that on. Being able to say sorry. And then being able to bring about fruit in your life that shows that you've repented. And to me, the very best way of doing that was not just to bless Harry and to walk with him, you know, because he's well into his 70s now. But also, um, and that was principally why I called him this week, was to thank him for what I've learned from him again. And so to say, you know, Harry, I know I really reached very negatively into your life and I hurt you badly. And I can never change that. God knows that that grieves my heart. Thank you though, Harry. Thank you that through that I've, I've learned so much. And thank you that that terrible way that wrong way that sinful way that I treated you for so long thank you Harry because you've forgiven me and been so gracious and that's now continuing to bear fruit in my life and hopefully in the lives of the people who I serve hey friends um, can I pray for you I'm not going to take the time to share another ritual with you today because we're out of time but it is impossible to be saved Jesus, without truly repenting, it is. Pray for you. Please, would you help us to be people who can repent, Jesus? Uh, the one-offs, you know, the, the, those who don't yet know you, those who are not yet in relationship with you. To repent, to turn away from sin and to turn to you. And then the lifestyle, this, this, this lifestyle of realizing that just about all day, every day, I'm 
I'm doing and saying things that are wrong and I'm doing and saying things that are hurting other people and I'm doing and saying things that are grieving you God and to be able to realize recognize and see those and and with your help turn them around so turn from doing what's wrong to doing what's right it to agree that it's wrong to say sorry for it please Jesus people who repent thank you Jesus